The Mountaintop Podcast show notes can be found at www.mountaintoppodcast.com, where you can also subscribe to the newsletter and get a 25-minute call with me for free. Also, you're invited to join the Mountaintop Summit Facebook group. Look forward to seeing you there. Live from the mist-enshrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters, you're listening to the world-famous Mountaintop Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Hey, all right, here we are again with another episode of the Mountaintop Podcast. My name is Scott McKay, coming at you on Twitter at Scott McKay, on YouTube at Scott McKay, and now on Instagram at Real Scott McKay. With me today is a friend of mine. He's been on the show before. This is another repeat guest. His name is Justin Stenstrom, and he is the head honcho over in Boston for Elite Man Magazine. Justin, how's it going, my friend? Good, Scott. Thanks for having me back on the show, man. It's a pleasure to speak. Yeah, man. And uh, you and I always have good conversations. We see eye to eye on lots of things. And when you brought up the topic that you suggested for this podcast today, man, I was just thrilled. It's something that I think a lot of guys want to hear about. It's going to make for a great show. And that topic is fearlessness. And I think a lot of guys live in fear. And a lot of times we don't even really know why. But you're a guy who's gotten over anxiety in his own life. And I know it's a subject that's near and dear to your heart, isn't it? Yeah, no, it really is, man. For a number of years, I had anxiety, uh, probably two, three years, I had really bad anxieties. There was a point in those two or three years where I was getting panic attacks three to four times a week. And these are like crippling panic attacks. Like everything is, it's like the scariest feeling in the world. And it lasts anywhere from like a half an hour to an hour. And it's like your whole life shuts down for that period of time. It's, it's absolutely horrible. Um, but doing a number of different things and really diving into the the self-help world. This is back when I was about 17, 18 at the time, doing some really profound things that I didn't know were profound at the time, but later um, looking back at them now, just incredible things. Uh, I was able to turn my anxiety around. And not only that, I was able to get a confidence about me and a fearlessness about me that I'd never had up until that point. And from that point forward, have carried with me and just taken to incredible levels just to, in all aspects of my life. Yeah, you know, anxiety is something that if you've never experienced it before, it's hard to really grasp how profoundly it does cripple one's life. Because what it does is it robs you of your ability to live. I mean, you're living in fear, and that fear is bigger than just worrying about something. It's a dark cloud over your whole life that steals from you, that takes from you your ability to enjoy just about anything else in life. Yeah, no, it, it certainly does. It, it really, I mean, we were talking about this earlier too, but it robs you of, of your masculinity, of, of who you are as a man, of what you believe you can do and, and the confidence that you have, you can do things. Like every single thing you do is just questioned. Once your mind takes over and it's in control and you're not in control of your mind anymore, it's, it's running the show. Everything you do, you question. Everything you do, you're worried about. Every place you go, you're worried about. Everything, like if you're talking to girls, you, you don't know what to say. If you're going for an application to uh, apply for a new job and you're in a meeting, you get anxiety and it takes over and it just fumbles your words. It messes up the things that you had uh, that you had re- rehearsed about saying. And, and just you know, any aspect of your life, it just completely goes to to, to ruins once you have anxiety and it's actually running the show instead of you doing doing the uh, the controlling. Yeah, a lot of guys may or may not be able to relate to having a full-on anxiety disorder or extreme anxiety like that. But a lot of guys are feeling a lot of fear nowadays. Do you think that we've always felt some fear as men, or do you think that that's up nowadays compared to the levels in the past? 
I think for sure we've always had anxiety. It's actually anxiety and stress are, are basically the same thing. We've always had that for you know ancient ancestors, hundreds of thousands of years. We needed anxiety. We needed it to escape from predators in the wild, to escape a lion that was chasing us or to fight off some kind of animal that was attacking us. We needed the fight or flight response. That anxiety is actually a good thing. However, in the last few decades, especially in the last few years, especially the last you know three, four, five years with just the entire radical change that we've had with technology and politics and the uh, global economy and just all the, the issues of the, of the world, um, the stress has been amplified like un, unlike any time before. And so now you're, you're going to work every day. You're just going through the motions of everyday work, uh, everyday living, going to the gym, hanging out with friends, uh, turning the TV on, turning your, your phone on, YouTube. Well, everything you do is somehow triggering the stress response in you. And anxiety has gone up exponentially, especially the last couple of decades. Like if you look at the stats in like the 1950s, and uh, we can get into this later too, if, or, or you know, not get into it, whatever. But um, just looking at like prescription medication for things like anxiety and depression, that number has gone up exponentially in the last couple of decades. And on the other hand, the, the rate of anxiety and depression has also coincided with the increase of, of pharmaceutical drugs. So, you know, go figure on that hand. We, we think we're getting, uh, we actually do spend the most in the industrialized world, America anyways, uh, and, and Medicare and healthcare. And we're like last place in terms of, uh, of health in industrialized countries. So it's not really working in other words. And um, yeah, I just think that the stimuli of everyday life is, is, has really gone under the microscope um, with the technology age, like everything you do, you can see, I, I read a stat too somewhere recently, Scott, where it's like, um, people see on average, like, I, I, I totally forget the number I'm making this up, but it's a ridiculous number. It's like 50,000 images a day in like today's society. Whereas like 200 years ago, they would see like a hundred images a day. So just our stimuli, like in the brain has shot up unbelievably. And that triggers, believe it or not, that triggers uh, anxiety it triggers the stress response. It, it triggers cortisol to go off throughout the body. And guys just don't know how to deal with it, specifically guys too. I mean, women certainly have their, but we're talking about guys here for the most part. You know, guys just don't know how to adapt to that. It's not like we have to fight or necessarily run from anything, but we still have those same chemicals going off throughout our bodies and we just don't know how to deal with it. You know, listening to you talk, it sounds like there's a couple of factors in our postmodern world we live in now that are contributing to this. And I don't think either one of them really get talked about nearly enough. As a matter of fact, just putting two and two together, this is the first time I've ever heard it discussed. The first factor I'm thinking of is that overwhelm of images. Mm. With social media and 400 and some channels, 400, it's more like a 1,000 on yeah. your dish network, you have access to information far beyond anything anybody else could have ever imagined just 30 years ago. I mean, you have an entire internet. You can find out whatever you want, whenever you want it. You know, you're having a bunch of images of just a sea of information passively pushed to you, you know, on social media, opinions, uh, what's happening in the world. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling in this small town in Kansas and another small town over here in West Virginia. We know so much about what's going on that it's created this kind of feeling within people that the world is worse than it's ever been. When, of course, if you look at objective reality, the world's actually better than it's ever been. You know, mm -hmm. we have more freedom. We have more wealth. We have more privileges as a human race than we ever have. Obviously, there's places that are more privileged than others. We all know that. We're not going to deny that. 
but it is not the worst time to be alive. But because of what we're bombarded with, it seems like it. So we have so much to be stressed about. The other factor that I think goes in tandem with this, and I think this is particularly the part that I've never heard discussed like this. I've never heard these two ideas in tandem. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is even as we're being bombarded with so many overwhelming images of what's going wrong or what there could be to potentially be worried about, we're also experiencing fewer visceral real world reasons to actually be afraid. I mean, you know, nowadays you have a family and you can expect most of not all of them to grow into adulthood. It's a tragedy when one of your children passes away. You know, back in the 1800s, people would expect half of their children to die before age three, for example. And, you know, that was life. That's unthinkable nowadays. You know, the diseases people died from that have been eradicated from the earth, the wars that had to be fought, the dangers that came from the next neighborhood over, uh, the lawlessness, the, you know, people had to defend themselves. People had to raise their own food or they'd starve. Pressures that we in today's modern world generally don't really have to face, especially in our culture. So could it be, Justin, that this juxtaposition of overwhelming amounts of bad news in our external world combined with very few real reasons to be afraid or to really have to stand up and fight in our own private world are creating an environment within our psyches where we're afraid of more and have to do less about it. You see how weird that that juxtaposition of frames is? I think you nailed it right on the head, Scott. I think that's exactly what's happening. I think that most of the things that stress us out now, like you said, are totally innocuous. There's just no there's no real danger. There's no threat to our livelihood, no tangible threat to our livelihood. However, we're still talking about things here. We're talking about the reptilian brain. We're talking about parts of our brain still right now that haven't evolved, that haven't been able to catch up and evolve and adapt at the rate that humans have industrialized and in the rate that technology has evolved. And then, you know, the whole uh, Moore's law where it's like every two years, technology doubles. And you just look around at the world we're living in, even like five years ago, probably when I first met you, Scott, it was like social media and and all these things weren't as crazy. Like they were around, don't get me wrong, but they weren't as crazy as they are now, especially smartphones, like in particular. I think probably when you and I, around the time when you and I first met, smartphones had probably just come out and people were like, yeah, it's cool. You know, smartphones are cool. It was like the upgrade from say uh, the Blackberry and, and those types of phones. But, you know, look at now, man, you go to any restaurant, you go out in public, it's like 80%, 90% of the people walking around are looking down at their smartphones and <laughs> just walking around. You go, you go out to dinner at a restaurant. And there, there's couples there, and both of those people are on their phones. Neither one of them is paying attention to the other person. And it's just, it just goes to show you how quickly and how fast life is changing in the world we're living in today. And like, and like you said, I just don't think that the human brain uh, has really been able to adapt to that new stress. It's a totally new stress, but it's the same thing. Inside our brains, it's the same thing. It's basically like instead of having one or maybe two real potential dangerous threats to our livelihood in a day that we had a hundred thousand years ago, we had the same brain, but it's like our brain perceives it now as having like a thousand or 10,000 threats, even though they're not really threats, our brain is still letting off those same neurotransmitters, neurochemicals and hormones throughout the brain, the adrenaline, the cortisol that still gives us that fear that gives us that anxiety, gives us that stress. And we wonder why, 
you know, the, the, the disease is going up in this country, the chronic disease that you wonder why the, the mental health is getting worse instead of getting better with all the technology and advances we've had in medicine. Uh, that's the reason. Well, the truth is we're being triggered infinitely more often for largely less valid reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's our life. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. You look at a term like microaggression. Man, you know, every time someone talks about microaggressions, I'm thinking, man, that person needs something to really be concerned about. <laughs> that person could use something to really strike the fear of God in their heart once in their life so they can know what that means. You know, someone else mentioned one time, I think on this show, that micro is one million, you know, so it's a millionth of an aggression. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I mean, that's what it's come to. People are expending huge emotion over microaggressions. I mean, political correctness in general, people mm-hmm. being held to account for what they say because of how it's being received by someone else and their offense taken by it rather than what their actual intention was in saying it. And this is all, I think, indicative of this growing problem. And I hesitate to say it, Justin, but it seems like we need something really to be worried about and to really be afraid of that we have to come together as a culture and fight, or else I think the problems you're talking about of people becoming more afraid more often for fewer really valid reasons, that problem's just going to escalate. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, you're right, Scott. I think it is just getting worse with time. And technology is getting worse and people, you know, the ridiculous thing is we, we can do, we as human beings, as men, my uh, majority listening to this podcast, we can control what we can control that's in front of us. We can control the, the actions that we take, the things that we do. And we, we can't control technology in, in general. Like we're not able to slow down the advances of technology. We're not able to slow down those images that we talked about earlier and just literally like triggering the, the reptilian part of our brains. However, we can we can control the things that we're doing and we can control the ways to combat those things, to practice good things like, for instance, meditation or um, uh, doing different uh, hobbies and, and like taking classes or writing self-improvement, bettering ourselves. Like the number, there's a number of things that you can do. Uh, and one of the other things is putting our energy and investing our time into things that are really just not worth it. Like like microaggressions, for instance, like you, like you mentioned, it's just we're really going to spend our, our valuable energy on getting upset over microaggressions or political correctness. Like someone says something a little wrong or they say, says something that's slightly offensive to 0.001% of the population. It's like, all right, yeah, maybe he messed up. Maybe he said something stupid, but how does that affect you? How does that affect the way you're living? Why? Why? The better question actually is why? Why let that affect you? Why let that affect your day-to-day life, your day-to-day happiness? your stress levels, your anxiety levels, your fearlessness. Why not focus on the things that you can control, the things that are more important to you and the things that actually really matter in your life? Stop trying to correct other people, trying to you know step on everybody's toes and point things out that, that people are, are messing up on and just focus instead on yourself. Like those things will happen in life. Anybody, everybody messes up. Everybody says, says dumb things, but to let those things affect you in your life and to let those things cause you stress in your life, I think it's just foolish at this point in time to really focus on the things that, that matter. I think it's, it's really important, Scott. You mentioned it. You brought up a great point. The microaggression thing, political correctness has really gotten out of control the past couple of years. And I think with time, if you look back, especially in America and the last 200 years and, and you know, developed countries in general, you look at like the United Kingdom and many, many countries in Europe, even South America. Uh, those things will correct themselves with time to try to just always correct people and little things. I think we're just going backwards. Long story short, I think we're just going backwards in the last few years 
we're setting ourselves backwards instead of forwards. Let things play out and focus more on yourself. Focus your valuable energy on the things that you can control and stop just you know letting other things affect you, especially small things. You know, hopefully it won't come down to us needing a cataclysmic disaster that we really have reason to be afraid of for all this to change. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's as if people who don't have any real power in life love to assuage their own wimpiness by making others pay for these little things, especially from afar. One thing I've noticed, I'm a decent guy, and I don't talk in a particularly caustic manner about what I believe in. So sometimes I'll get a woman who really just rips me a new one from the safe confines of her living room or her smartphone over something I said over email. And it, <laughs> it over time occurred to me that if I really was the kind of person who would rip her a new one back and cause real damage to her psyche, she would never have written to me. I'm a safe space for her to vent. She can tell me how horrible I am because really I'm not that horrible. She knows that I won't vent back to her. And I think that's really wimpy. You know, and some guys are like that too. You know, obviously I don't write those women back and rip them a new one. That it's not worth it. I have to hold myself to a higher standard with the size of an audience I have. And it's not worth it anyway. You're not going to change their mind. But I've noticed that people lash out with all their political correctness and all of their vitriol towards people who aren't really all that disagreeable, just slightly disagreeable. Like people love to get on Twitter and just say hateful things every time Donald Trump tweets. You know why? Because Donald Trump's never going to answer them. <laughs> it's safe. It, it's just blathering and they know it. It's venting. I want to switch gears a little bit here because here's something that fascinates me about this whole conversation. And I hope it does you too. People use the word fearless. Fearless would indicate the absence of fear. It sounds wonderful to be fearless. It sounds wonderful to feel like you'd never be afraid of anything again. But the Formula One driver, Ayrton Senna, who, you know, perhaps presciently died in a Formula One car accident, once said something to the effect in an interview that a fearless Formula One driver is a dead Formula One driver. In other words, a Formula One driver isn't free from fear completely, but rather he feels that fear and courageously drives right into it. So this concept of fear versus courage, I personally think, is a wonderful linchpin to helping guys understand the mindset to have. Like when you watch a movie like Saving Private Ryan and you're confronted at the beginning of that movie with what it must have been like to be one of those guys who stormed Normandy Beach on D-Day. It's unthinkable. You know, you're basically getting shot at as soon as they open the door to the front of the boat. And you got to walk right into that. I mean, it had to be terrifying. I mean, you know, a fearless guy on that morning was a dead guy. Having ridden motorcycles and raced them myself, I know that, you know, if you don't respect the machine you're riding, it'll spit you off and you'll get hurt. So how do you feel about this whole idea of fearlessness, not simply as a concept, but as the term is actually defined versus the idea of courage and what that term represents? Yeah. I mean, first, you brought up a great point with the riding motorcycles. I, I ride motorcycles as well. And somebody actually told me something very similar when I first started, when I first got my license like 10 years ago, riding motorcycles. He said, the day, the day you wake up and have no fear before you get on that bike is the day you don't ride because that's the day you're going to die. You have to have some bit of fear. You have to have some bit 
of, of a healthy fear in you. Just like we talked about before, anxiety, stress, those things are actually there for a reason. They're there to actually give you a warning sign that you either have to get out of the way or you have to fight or you have to actually be conscious of what you're doing and not just think that, you know, you can do whatever you want because then you'll, you will be dead. There, there is a reason that fear exists and it's to keep us safe. Now to have, uh, to have too much fear all the time is obviously a bad thing. And then like we talked about, I think too many guys, unfortunately nowadays have too much fear in, in a number of different avenues in their life. But being fearless to me is being able to overcome those fears, especially when it comes to things like dating, or especially when it comes to getting a new job or giving a speech or being the center of attention and uh, a conversation or, you know, any, any number of things that people do on a day-to-day basis that they have fear in doing when it comes to like expressing themselves socially or with an, with a woman, those are the types of things we're really talking about and overcoming those things and having, having fear and fearlessness or courage, like you said as well, in those areas. And those things just come down to the ability to, to overcome those. So they don't hinder your performance. So you're actually able to optimize them. And actually in, in a better sense, you, you can actually use that fear. Like, like we talked about using it before in a fight or flight manner for your survival. We can actually use the fear now to increase your performance, to better your performance. You actually use the fear to your advantage now. And there's a way to do it. There's actually a few, there's, there's a number of ways to actually do it, but I can talk about a couple of those in a moment. And, and that's really what it's all about is actually going with the fear and using it to your advantage as opposed to um, letting it hinder your performance or absolutely just crushing your performance and, and totally um, blowing you out of, the, out of the water because you just can't, you don't know how to act with that fear. You don't know how to use it, that fear to your advantage. You don't know how to stop it from crippling you. Um, like we talked about earlier, like in a panic attack example, for instance, like we talked about earlier, that that's the type of thing, like you might not have a panic attack. You may never have had a panic attack, but if you, you if fear overcomes you and it takes over your ability to perform or your ability to actually have courage in the situation to do what you have to do, then it's just as bad as a panic attack is because it's taking over your system. Yeah, it's kind of like fear is a physiological response. Your body is telling you, hey, look, there's danger here. How are we going to handle it? You need to wake the hell up here. It's fight or flight, like you said. So we gauge what it is we're up against, and that alarm system wakes us up, gives us the proper adrenaline dose or whatever we need to face up to it. I think that's where courage comes in. If you need to fight instead of fleeing it, you can do that. And a real man will recognize the difference between something that he can legitimately fight or something. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we better retreat. There's a time and a place for both, of course. But what you mentioned that I think was an excellent answer to this whole concept of the difference between fearlessness and courage and something I admittedly have not really thought about before you, you kind of conjured this idea in my mind is, yeah, man. There's things we fear that we need to crush underfoot. We need to get rid of that fear. There's no good reason for it being there. Like if you fear what someone's going to think of you because they're politically correct and you're not, and you know you're a decent guy, I'm not sure you need courage to face that fear. I think you need to stop being afraid of it. So there's a legitimacy factor there. I mean, here's something that I, you know, I'm going to need courage to face. I'm going to have to walk into this thing and I'm going to have to deal with it. And I don't know what the outcome is. It could be favorable or otherwise, but a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And then there are things that we're afraid of that just need to be beaten over the head with a shovel till they stop twitching. 
like I like to say. I mean, they're just not doing us any good. Worry, for example, is an emotion that does us really no darn good. It's fear of the future and what we're worried about usually doesn't come to pass. Now, if you've got something coming up that you know you've got to face, so be it. But I mean, when we're going around worrying about every little thing, oh, what's she going to think of me? Is she going to say no? Is she going to say something really mean to me if I ask her out? You know, such a high percentage of the time, none of that ever comes to fruition. And all we end up doing is paralyzing ourselves from perhaps experiencing something very nice. I love what you said about that. I want you to elaborate more on that. What are some examples of things guys should just stop being afraid of because it's not serving us any purpose? First one that comes to mind is approaching women. I mean, that's really the one of the big things when it comes to dating is having that fear that you're going to be rejected. And there's, there is a real basis for that fear. And again, it goes back hundreds of thousands of years where guys were living in tribes and smaller groups of people, you know, there's a couple of women around, there was a couple options, you know, just literally a couple options, maybe a handful of options for that guy to have a woman to, to reproduce, to have offspring and to further his line of, of children and, and, you know, keep the blood going, so to speak. But, you know, nowadays, and, and so my, my point with that is if, if he got rejected back then, you know, that was basically it. He didn't have a chance. And, you know, his, his species was his, um, his bloodline would go off his family and the whole, the main purpose for humans to be on this earth. Uh, if you look at the science behind uh, evolution, it's really to reproduce and to have offspring. So if you look at it that way, from that perspective, just a, a biological perspective, it's really a scary thing. If a guy got rejected hundreds of thousands of years ago, then he was pretty much screwed. And that was it. That was the end of his, of his line. But look at it nowadays. We still have that primordial brain where we have those fears. We go up to a woman, we get all nervous, we get anxious, we, we, we mess up our words that we want to say. We try to think of something clever and it never comes. And then she walks by, disappears, and we never see her again. We have all that anxiety because we still have that anxiety from hundreds of thousands of years ago, our great, great ancestors. But today, it's a totally different ballgame. We're talking about having not just two, three, four, five options in our entire lives, but two, three, four, five options in like, you know, the course of 20 minutes when we go out to a bar, right? So we have so many options. We have so many, there's just so many different options for us to choose from so many different women out there, so many different compatible people, partners that we can meet. And that's just a fear that so many guys have that is just still, I get it. I get why we have it. And, you know, I still get a little, a little nervous from time to time before going up and talking to a woman. The only difference is I've, I've learned how to uh, get over that fear and actually kind of use it to my advantage in a way. And I think that's really the key is learning to work with that fear and get over that fear. That's an irrational fear, that anxiety, that approach anxiety that guys still have. It's irrational, but but you have to learn why it's there and you have to learn how to use it. So when it does pop up, it's not going to hinder you from from actually going over and talking to her. That I mean, that's just one thing that comes to mind. But there's so many different things like that that are irrational. It totally don't make sense in the day and age that we live in today. But that will just happen because for some reason, it triggers something in our brains that was probably useful to us many, many years ago, many thousands of years ago. But little things like that, when they pop up, if you just can recognize them and and, and actually say to yourself, like, you know, this is an irrational thought, what irrational feeling, and then just switch, like flip the script and switch things up. So you can actually take that. And instead of using that anxiety to hold you back, you can use it to, uh, to propel you. You know, as you're talking, a lot of things cross my mind. And probably the most significant one is I believe a lot of guys kind of misplace in their minds and in their very beings the meaning of courage and fearlessness. And I think that's where machismo sometimes corrupts our thinking. You know, you can call this toxic masculinity or 
whatever you want to call it. But I think a lot of times guys feel like they need to act in a certain way to appear fearless or to appear courageous. And they're equating those emotions with being tough on the exterior. And nowadays, you know, you're hearing a lot about the need for men to be more vulnerable. And that's confusing to a lot of guys because, you know, at the same time, we're being taught to be more feminine and to soften up and that our masculinity is just really troublesome in general. But what I appreciate about you, Justin, is that you're willing to be vulnerable to give these guys the truth. I mean, you're talking about your own struggles in the past. And you're throwing on the table some things that a lot of us can relate to that I don't think a lot of guys would necessarily admit to or talk about. And see, that's courage. A guy who goes around admitting to others where he's he's fallen short and yet talks about the solution to it is going to be respected because that took courage. A lot of times guys think, hey, you know what, I'm not going to ask this woman out because I might get rejected. What they're failing to do is be vulnerable in the best way possible. You have to face this potential of a woman not accepting you and not liking you and go ahead and and be vulnerable in that regard in order for a woman to accept you. You have to put yourself out there to begin with in order for there to be that positive outcome. Examples of the darker side of this I'm thinking about are, are the guys who won't ever tell their family that they love them. Because, you know, that would be weak and sappy of them. Or a guy who will never admit that he's sorry. He'll never apologize to anyone because that would be weak. What are those guys afraid of? Are they afraid of looking like a loving man? Are they afraid of of looking stupid or flawed because they're admitting to have made a mistake? Yet a lot of guys suffer from this kind of macho, pseudo or sats fearlessness. What would you say to guys who I kind of got the attention of just now by saying that? How can we snap out of that false sense of courage, that kind of fake sense of being fearless, and realize that vulnerability in the strong sense is what's going to put us in front of more women more positively, what's going to help us build more influential and, in fact, courageous, real, deep relationships with others? What would you tell those guys? I tell them to, to embrace it, to embrace the fact that everything you just said a moment ago is 100% accurate. It's 100% true. The more vulnerable you are, in my experience, over the many years I've been doing coaching now, the more attractive you are, the more people respect you, the more people look up to you. Because here's the thing, Scott, everybody, you, I, everybody listening to this podcast right now, everybody is imperfect. We all have the things that we screw up. We all have the things that we mess up on. We all have the things that we don't like about ourselves. We all have the things that we wish we could change. But the people who try to hide all those things and try to act like everything's great and that they're perfect and that, you know, especially with social media, they have this social media facade and they take the perfect pictures and they take a hundred pictures before they pick out that just one because it's the right angle, the right shot. And then they put a filter on it and they, you know, they scroll through 50 filters before they find the right one just so they have that perfect picture and it looks like everything's great and they are perfect. They are just flawless in every, in every way. Those are the people who have typically the most to hide. Those are typically the people who are most insecure. And those are typically the people who don't have that courage to be themselves. And I would just reiterate the fact that what you said about being yourself, about, you know, having that vulnerability and just expressing yourself better, like telling your, your wife, you, you love her or telling your kids, you love her, you love them. Or telling your mother or father that you love them. Those are some of the things. It's like, yeah, it, 
I get it. There's a stereotype with that. It's not super masculine. It's not very manly to say those things. But on the other hand, it's it's who you are. It's who I am. It's who it's who everybody is listening to the show. We all have those parts inside of us. Every single one of us, unless you're a complete serial killer sociopath, you don't have that emotion. Everybody has that emotion. And expressing those emotions and getting to the core of, of expressing those emotions, I think really just reveals your true character. And the more you can reveal your true character and who you really are, the more people are going to like you. You know, it's so true. I think perhaps those particular stereotypes were propagated by guys who lacked courage in that regard. Mm, yeah. And, you know, we as macho guys buy right into it. One of the things that comes to mind there is there are different levels of courage and perhaps there's different facets in our lives where it might be easier or more difficult to exhibit courage or fearlessness. Like the same guy who could be a firefighter or a soldier or a police officer and go out and, you know, face the devil eye to eye every day is the same guy who can't tell his wife he loves her or can't apologize for anything because that involves a different courage at a different psychological level. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Isn't it an incredible prospect of an incredible journey for us to look at the different ways we can be courageous, the different little dark corners of our life that we can eliminate fear? So many of them. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of guys, frankly, have a hard time wrapping their head around this whole subject, because they're either thinking of it in a unidimensional way, like I got to be courageous in my work or be courageous in meeting women. And really, there's so many different ways to be courageous. There are so many different facets of our life that fear creeps in that it's almost impossible to shake a stick at all of them. And you know, Justin, I'm still afraid of some stuff. I'm still lacking courage in some areas. It's going to be a journey for the rest of our lives, but it can be an exciting one if we're willing to lift up the rocks and see what's underneath and chase that fear away because all we do is become better men because of it, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. And it's a, like you said, it's a constant journey. It's a constant fight. Every single day, we're learning, we're growing, we're having different challenges come our way, both socially, emotionally, personally. All things pop up all the time. And it's not like we're, you know, we, we hear this podcast or we learn this one thing. And it's completely going to change our lives and we're never going to have fear again. I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's absurd. And, and again, having that fear is actually, a, it can be a good thing when you use it to your advantage. For instance, when you use it instead of uh, like an, an anxiety thing, like if you're giving a speech, you, you switch the mind frame around, you, you switch it around in your head so that you use it as an energy, you use it as an excitement instead of just going on stage and being dull. Like having a bit of anxiety is actually good. Being a little nervous, like before you get on this call, Scott, or, you know, do this podcast, Having a little bit of, of nervous energy is actually a good thing. When you flip the script and actually can can use that to your advantage, your your mind thinks better. You think quicker. You have more excitement in your voice. You have more energy in your tone. Everything actually you perform at your peak when you can use it to your advantage. And so actually eliminating anxiety or eliminating stress or eliminating fear 100% is not a good thing. It, it totally is not a good thing. If we got on this call and neither one of us had any bit of nervous energy, it would be very dull. It'd be boring. People would go to sleep. People, people would actually flip off the uh, the station after a couple of minutes because it'd be so boring. But instead, it's like, you know, we both got a good vibe. We both have a good energy. There's a bit of anxiety under the surface of it all. But we've used we, we've learned over the years. I don't think you've even consciously done this. And probably I haven't either for a while. But we've learned to use it to our advantage. And that's actually a good thing. If my memory serves, it was Derek Jeter who was being interviewed when he was going to the playoffs for about the you know, dozenth time with the New York Yankees. And the interviewer asked him, do you still get butterflies 
when it's playoff time after all these years? And he said something to the effect of, oh, absolutely I do. If I don't, it's time to retire. I may not be able to even fog a mirror anymore if I'm not excited over the prospect of winning a world championship. And in that context, I'm reminded of the guys who talk about eliminating approach anxiety. Mm. Hell, man, if you don't feel those same butterflies Derek Jeter would feel before a playoff game, when you're about to meet a woman who's absolutely hot and you don't know what's going to happen with her, then you need to remind yourself you're alive. You shouldn't be a robot. You shouldn't be completely emotionless when meeting a woman or else there's something the hell wrong with you. You harness that emotion and you use it to your advantage. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Great conversation. And one that is well worth having and that every man should participate in. And I invite all your comments on this particular show, guys, because I want to hear your stories. And I also want to hear your contributions to this conversation. It might be a great way to fuel some topics for future shows. So, uh, Justin, I want to give these guys a chance to learn more about you. And I'm going to send them to www.mountaintoppodcast.com front slash Justin. And uh, that's J-U-S-T-I-N. And that's going to lead to your YouTube channel now, right? Yeah, to uh, take the guys to the YouTube channel. Um, just launched it a couple months ago. I, I just I, I do three videos a week. I love doing the the videos. It's all topics uh, related to men, dating, health, fitness, social skills, body language, everything you need to know just to be a better man, to be an elite man, to be the best man that you can be. It's it's uh, pretty cool. So yeah, I appreciate that, Scott. Yeah, and I appreciate you, Justin. And guys, go to www.mountaintoppodcast.com front slash Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, and you'll land on Justin's uh, YouTube channel for Elite Man Only. And Justin, thank you so much. As it was the first time, I anticipated this would be a fantastic conversation that exceeded expectations, and I certainly think it did. So thank you. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it, man. And guys, if you're not on my newsletter list, you hear me talk about this all the time, go to www.mountaintoppodcast.com and sign up there. I'll give you free actionable advice every day on how to get better with women, how to get more courage in your life, and how to be the kind of man you were born to be in general. And while you're there, listen, guys, this is for real. Some of you guys have been writing me saying, yeah, sure. I talked to two of you guys yesterday. It's great to talk to you guys. I love talking to you guys because you're listeners to this show. You have great ideas. It helps me keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on out there. And, you know, sometimes it's a good fit to do some coaching, or maybe I can point you to the right program for you so you're not wondering which one to get. Click the red button in the upper right-hand corner at www.mountaintoppodcast.com and uh, get me on the blower and let's talk about what's going on in your world. Free for 25 minutes. And you can set up a time for us to visit over the phone or over Skype, no matter where you are in the world by doing that. It's all for you at www.mountaintoppodcast.com. Until we talk again, this is Scott McKay from X and Y Communications in San Antonio, Texas. Be good out there. The Mountaintop Podcast is produced by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.mountaintoppodcast.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the free X and Y Communications newsletter for men. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for The Mountaintop Podcast.